Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And with me today is our special guest from Brisbane in Australia, Josh Marsden. Now, Josh is the founder of an organization called Active and Thriving. And, and so I was talking to Josh earlier and I said, you know, firstly, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raoul. Really appreciate you um, bringing me on today. And, and so, Josh, tell me, you, you actually had a great explanation of why you called it Active and Thriving and what the difference is between the two. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been working in the health and wellbeing space for quite some time, really just focused around the physical wellbeing side of things. So um, sleep, diet and exercise. But as we evolved as a company and also as the understanding about mental health and wellbeing progressed in the industries we're working on um, evolved, we really knew that we needed to do something in that space. And that's essentially our goal to help everybody thrive. So active and thriving is basically evenly balanced between physical well-being, so that's the active side of the business, and then mental well-being, which is the thriving side. And what underpins that is that social connection because the people that um, we work with in the daytime and go home to at night and have the greatest ability to influence our behaviours either positively or negatively, so we're helping to support more positive behaviours. Okay, so I'm going to lead on from that. You said the people we work with during the daytime have the best ability to influence us when we're not at work, okay, you know, in the night time. So what do you mean by that? So what I actually meant uh, by that one, Rail, was that it's the people that we work with that influence is quite strong. So what I'm talking about there is your colleagues. So if you sit so- next to somebody every day and they um, have a, a meat pie or a pizza for lunch, then you're more likely to want to have a meat pie and pizza. So that's a negative influence on you versus if you're the type of person that gets up um, has their lunch break away from their desk and does a quick walk around the block before coming back into the office, that's a positive behaviour, then that person that sits next to you is more likely uh, to be influenced in that way. And then the other strong environment is the home environment. So whether it be family, friends, housemates and so forth, if the people that you go home to um, sit and drink beer of an evening, then you're more likely to follow that behaviour. If they um, are more likely to go out, exercise and then cook a fresh, healthy meal, then you're more likely to be triggered that way. So our goal is to basically help people um, live more positive, healthy behaviours, whether it be in the workplace or in their home environment, so they can actually champion those positive behaviours to their network. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, the biggest problem, you know, I've always seen is, is my team here, and we shifted from a, a culture in my, in my office of 15-odd people we shifted from a culture of fast food to, to, to home-brought food. Um, but every Friday, I will buy the staff lunch. So it's a sort of a, a treat. But yet, they're not always buying burgers dripping in fat. You know, they're actually often buying sushi or, you know, much more perceived to be healthy foods. Let's, let me rephrase that. Um, but we also see that as part of the social environment where I want the team to sit together every day at lunch and have lunch, uh, not every day, uh, on a Friday particularly, and have lunch together because I think that's part of their social network. 
and part of their well-being. You run a 12-month program. Tell me a little bit about the 12-month program. So the idea of the 12-month program is it's essentially an ongoing program, but we um, set up for organisations in 12-month blocks so that they're really aware of um, what they're focusing on month to month and they can align some of their other strategies, whether it be through health and safety culture or other wellbeing initiatives, to that. So the goal of the 12-month um, calendar is really that everyone in your organisation is an individual. Everyone in your organisation has is at a different um, level of readiness to change to start a program like Active and Thriving. So the goal is we need to be visible year-round with new and interesting and innovative ways for people to take that first step, whether it be towards adjusting and improving their financial well-being, taking a more proactive um, approach to sustainability, or managing their own stress levels. So the goal for the 12-month program is to be very actions-focused. So we're a behaviour change program in the workplace setting. So every month we put out mini challenges for people to complete at either individual level or the team level that makes taking that first step towards that desired behaviour as easy as possible can be. And from an organisational point of view, it means that they don't they have a strategic approach to health and wellbeing that takes very little energy uh, from them and it's delivered by experts because many organisations do want to ingrain wellbeing into the organisations, but into their organisation. But the resources required can be quite um, time-consuming and quite expensive. So we help them enable that um, in a really scalable way. And is yours a is yours a physical program? Like, you know, Australia is, and, and for international listeners, Australia's been pretty much immune. I mean, I, I know in Perth we've had exactly a week of lockdowns um, and, and about a week, uh, about a month last year in, in 2020 when, when offices were shut. Brisbane had a snap lockdown for a couple of weekends now and then and a little bit of a lockdown, you know, in 2020. How, you know, is your program physically delivered or is it um, online delivery? So we're a completely digital program uh, with the idea that um, everything is delivered digitally either through our uh, web-based platform and we're in both the app stores But because we put such a strong emphasis on the social connection and the teamwork, uh, the things that we do actually become physically delivered in the workplace by the employees themselves. So say, for example, if the focus um, that we have is on physical wellbeing, we might be providing stretching resources or light exercise resources for teams to do in the workplace every morning over the course of a week. And what that means is the champions in your organisation will pick that up and they'll actually influence other people in your workplaces to go through that stretching regime as well. And what that means is it's essentially a snowball effect. Um, as what I said earlier on the piece, it's the people in the workplace can influence positive behaviours in a stronger manner than we could as a, as a digital third party. Well, okay, but then let me ask the question. You, you, you obviously, we've talked about the physical stuff now, the stretching and whatever else, and potentially changing habits like, you know, not eating pits every day, but, you know, eating some, some healthier options. But if you're making it peer-driven, does and one of the things you focus on is mental health as well, how does that impact or could that potentially impact mental health where people are feeling, I hate the term bullied because I think the term bullied has been overused by lots of people, but do they feel pressured and unnecessarily pressured within the workforce? That's a really great question. 
uh, and one that uh, we've been working uh, along with for quite a period of time to actually make the mental health component of the active and thriving program the strongest element because it is a concern that is increasing every day. So in Australia, at any one point in time, we're talking one in six suffering a mental health concern and the economic cost for an organisation uh, from a workers' comp perspective is about $24,500. So it's a really big concern at the individual and workplace level. But one of the major gaps in mental health delivery is that the one of the strongest protective factors for mental health is social support and social connection and then also physical well-being. Whereas in the past, the model has very much been we do physical well-being over this side and then we do mental well-being over here. It's one or the other. When the reality is for somebody to be truly thriving, we need to bring those two elements together in a more comprehensive and complete approach. So when we roll out our mental health and well-being programs, we do a specific program called Mentally Healthy People, which is around creating mental health awareness and stigma reduction. So that would traditionally be delivered in a seminar format where people listen to a subject matter expert and then leave and are expected to engage in the learnings. So we flip that on the head where we get teams of three to work together and discuss those topics around why people might not be comfortable speaking about mental health, what are some of the signs and symptoms they should be looking out for, or how to have a constructive conversation. And then once they've had that internal conversation as a team, they can put their ideas out to the broader organisation uh, for other people to engage with as well so that there is um, a lot less fear of judgment in that process rather than doing it at an individual level. Okay, because that, you know, just thinking about it, uh, you know, everybody has, you know, we have a culture here where people can joke, hey, you can't, I can't believe you're eating, you know, that today. And it won't be taken as an insult. It'll be taken as, yeah, okay, I was lazy this morning, so I bought some takeout on the way to the office. But it's said with almost love and affection. Like it's, you know, a number of my staff started going to boxing together. They go to boxing classes together once a week. It had nothing to do with my, I mean, I, my staff know that my diary is blocked out between eight and 10 most days when I go to the gym. So that's, I've created from the top down a culture of wellness. My co-directors um, do a lot of martial arts in the other businesses you know, they're always, you'll see one of the other directors, 4.30, 5 o'clock, he's, he's changed into shorts and he'll walk out saying, I'm going for a run now, I'm going to train, or I'm going for a swim now. So, so we've created a culture where that's embraced. Um, you know, I, 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 I think it's amazing that, that there is a program that focuses on both aspects. Um, how are people embracing the the exercise side of it in the corporate sense. I mean, every company is now very concerned about mental health, as you said, one in six. Um, uh, although some organizations are putting out one in five figures, but we don't even know what that means. Um, you know, whether it's, it doesn't matter. It's a big number. The, the question is the exercise side. Are people embracing that as readily as the mental health or which one is, is, is having more impact? So um, it really does vary on the organisation and then also the individuals inside the organisation. So I think what you were touching on before um, about your own organisation success you've been having with um, the culture as far as implementing physical wellbeing and so forth, it's been sounds like it's been leader-led. So that leadership commitment and leadership buy-in actually plays a really big part in the success of any of the programs that we run. So the more visibility and more um, communication awareness that comes from that 
higher level, the more likely those two programs will engage. But we do find that uh, particularly uh, more operational-based or more field worker-based organisations will pick up and engage with the physical programs a little bit more because mindfulness, gratitude, developing a sense of purpose might be a little bit too new for them. And that's fine. And that's the idea of the 12-month calendar as well because that means that um, every month we have another opportunity to find um, an element of well-being that is meaningful to them because once they're in the active and thriving program or any well-being program and they start to see a positive result, they're more likely to take on some of the other behaviours that rather than just sitting there with their arms crossed alone. As far as the results um, side of things goes, so we use um, a series of surveys. So we use a global mental health score, global physical health score and a social connectedness scale. So they're our bread and butter on every program that we run. Um, and we do that for physical well-being, mental well-being and resilience building because they do intertwine. And those markers do increase on each of them, but particularly in the physical well-being, the results you see in the uh, rise in men the mental health score, so global mental health score and social connectedness score um, is really, really impressive and really uh, a testament to why you do need um, that balanced approach. Even if you're address addressing mental health, you shouldn't leave, away leave out nutrition, sleep, um, exercise, because that will help make that person um, thrive a little bit better. And I mean, if we want to look at it at a really micro level, um, how do we feel if we've had one night of bad sleep? Yeah, true. That's a good question. So yeah. you mentioned something there about workforces, particularly like um, service-based, they're out in the out in the field or field-based um, workforces. So most of the world is still recovering from COVID or, or hasn't recovered yet, but recovering from lockdowns, working from home. And there is a lot of work being done, even in Australia, that says a lot of workers don't want to go back to work, don't want to go back to the work environment. So th this leads on to a whole lot of questions about remote work. Are people healthier or are they working too long hours? Too, are the hours too long working at home? You know, wh what's your opinion on, on, on working from home? Are people... Um, you know, Microsoft uh, recorded a 30% increase in productivity. Now, how they measure that, don't know. But they've, they've publicly gone on record as saying a 30% increase in productivity with people working from home. What has changed in the way people are working? So there's been a lot of changes, and some of them have been for the better, I think. Um, so, And some of them have probably been for the worst. Um, from a well-being perspective, I think people are actually starting to um, spend more time with their family. So they're getting that commute time back. So they're able to spend more quality time at the start and end of the day that they might not have got otherwise, have lunch breaks um, with their family and so forth. So that's a really positive that's come out. One of the negatives is that they are, there's no, no way for people to switch off. So they jump up in the morning, they check their emails first thing before they might have even got out of bed just to see what's happening. And then at the end of the day, if there's something still nagging, they might come back and open up their laptops after after dinner time and just do a couple more hours work. So the time spent at work is no longer a linear eight hours from nine o'clock to five, five o'clock with your lunch break. Um, it can start very, very early and go on very, very late. Um, and that's impacting um, elements of fatigue and sleep. So likewise, I think over the COVID period, um, majority of people have been reporting sleeping worse 
um, as a result of the anxiety of uh, the uncertainty of not knowing what's what. But then there's also that fatigue, so that digital fatigue from spending so much time on your devices, just basically waiting for that next email to go off and engage with it. I saw something quite um, interesting that the average uh, person in Australia, so corporate-based worker, is interacting with about 100 emails per day. So that's a significant amount of time just focused on email alone. That would be a good day in my life. Exactly. Um, but, um, yeah, although part of that is driven by the fact that I also run a financial services group, and so a lot of the emails, although they're directed to me, are actually for my team to deal with. So it's taken me a number of years to get a set of rules in place where emails are automatically forwarded to particular people in the organization. So I think at the end of each day, there's probably 100 emails that I need to read, but of the couple hundred that come in. But it took me a long time, and I can understand with people working from home. The second question about working from home, and it relates to that and that decompression time. So you you mentioned it. I, I in my, in, I guess, simplistic view of the world, but it's a cultural view of the world, said people get in the car or they jump on a train, depending on where they are in the world, and they commute to their house. It might be five minutes or it might be five hours, not five hours. Might be five minutes or 50 minutes. But that is their decompression time generally. They're listening to an audio book. They're listening to this podcast. You know, they're doing something. They're now walking from the study to the lounge room and not having that decompression time. How has that affected their, I mean, a lot of people said that that was why everyone started drinking during the lockdowns because they're having a drink was that, physical act of decompression at the end of the day you know how's that affected our physical and mental health yeah i mean we're not robots so we can't just flick a switch and go from being um the worker and then to being the, the parents the, the partner whatever it might be but that's essentially what we're asking people to do in that um working from home environment so once five o'clock ticks over if you're lucky hopefully you can uh, log off and then go into that um, lifestyle but if you don't have a break or a ritual in place, then it's going to be very hard to put behind um, what all the work that you have been doing and then move into your, your household duties. So the recommendation for that is, I mean, taking it a step back is to um, habitualise your, your daily life. And when we say that, we mean from when you wake up all the way through to when you go to bed at night, um, the more uh, structure and routine that you have, uh, the more effective it will be to manage all of these priorities you have. And then inside your working day, make sure that you've got a set work uh, routine that has a start and an end. And a good thing to do when working from home is to actually have a ritual at the start of your work day. So you know when you start your work day is exactly when um, and it needs to be specific for you. But an example might be you actually go through the effort and get into your work attire, you get a coffee brewed, and once that coffee is brewed, that's when you start working. And then you go through your work routine, you follow a to-do list, your lunch breaks and so forth are included. You've got your workout in there, which is awesome. And then at the end of the workday, you go through a similar sort of routine. So it might be something short and structured like a breathing um, exercise, um, or it might be something a little bit uh, longer like going for a walk around the block, um, again, getting changed out of your, um, your work gear, listening to a podcast or going for a walk as well. So long as it basically delineates work-life from home-life. Okay. And and so you mentioned something right up front about the social environment. So 
how does that lack of social environment or physical social environment, how has that impacted, you know, obviously you started your business two years or three years ago, but it, it morphed from something else. So it's been around a long time, but in the current name, it's been two or three years. And, and previously, I think you said there was another 10. How has the last year of no social contact affected people in terms of the social programs that you're talking about, three people working together? How, what's happened with that? So we've actually been really fortunate over the last um, 12 months as a company because we are a, a digitally delivered program and our methodology was already underpinned quite strongly with the importance of social connection. So in 2018, we started working with Dr. Sean Young. He's the Executive Director of Digital Behaviour Change and Prediction Technology at UCLA. It's a mouthful, okay. um, but it is quite important. And he's got his model of behaviour change, a science model, where one of the um, seven uh, forces that are utilised in that model is community. So the strength of the community to change behaviours um, should never be discredited. And we when we talk about gamification, we typically talk about points, badges and leaderboards. But the strongest okay. tool for gamification is actually that social support. So everything we do in Active and Thriving is about bringing people together towards a common goal, whether it be, again, for uh, mental, physical or uh, financial well-being. And the idea is that in those difficult times uh, through COVID and particularly where there were those shutdown periods, uh, these people still had a reason to figure out a way to exercise in lockdown, figure out how they can eat as healthy as they can, and then share that onto the Active and Thriving platform so that they can get uh, recognition and kudos from their peers, which helps with that level of interaction. So I think I did mention that we use a social connectedness scale yeah. and we actually improved our levels of social connection of all our clients through that period where a lot of people uh, went backwards. So um, everything we do, we believe that social connection should be part of that um, because we think it's an underdeveloped pillar of well-being. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we like warm bodies. I mean, that sounds terrible, but we do like to be around other warm bodies. It's just what it is. Um, okay, so two, there's a double-edged question. Do you think we'll see the world going back to a sense of normality where everybody is working in offices and or majority of people are office-bound and not home office-bound? And if that is the case, what can organizations and managers do to transition people back into the office? So that's a, a very, very good question where I'll um, be playing with the crystal ball a little bit. But I do believe that there has been a pretty significant change in the way people are working. Um, but that being said, uh, from our clients and from people that we're speaking to out in the industry, two things are happening or seem to be happening. One is that organisations want to bring, uh, to use your language, warm bodies back into the offices to, again, increase that collaboration side of things, knowledge sharing and so forth, which we know is so crucial to innovation and success inside organisations. But the employees, they're also saying, hey, this has been working pretty well. We've gotten a little bit of flexibility back. What's the compromise in that space there? So there's going to be a little bit of give and take as far as what um, what happens, but it does seem like flexibility to work is going to be more commonplace. And then likewise, organisations are starting to change their model from being a place for people to sit and work quietly 
to a place where people can come in and work in a collaborate, collaborative environment. And that's the primary role of the organization's physical footprint now. It's for collaboration rather than um, solo knowledge-based work. So I think in the next couple of years, we'll find out exactly what that looks like, but it is definitely going to be a blended workplace and employees are going to have more say in what their uh, Monday to Friday does look like. Well, one of the concepts I've been reading about, talking about, and I've started seeing happening in Europe is work near home. It's an interesting idea that instead of a major corporate office with 3,000 people in a city, let's just pick a number of 3,000, they have distributed offices that take 20 or 30 workstations and employees book into those distributed offices and most of them would be five, maybe 10, you know, for people working out remotely, maybe 10 kilometers from their house. And so instead of commuting into the city, they would spend time at these remote offices one or two days a week and one or two days a week at home to give them a, that blend, that harbor that you talk about of, of the warm bodies and then the flexibility of working at home. That's really interesting and not surprising either that's uh, the way that people are starting to look because, again, we do crave interactions, we do crave social support and we need it, right? People are um, coming out of particularly outside of Australia this COVID period with a heightened level of anxiety uh, for human interaction, so now it's getting harder for them to come back into that workplace. Um, On the other side of the coin, um, I've seen some research where um, happiness is directly correlated to the length of commute time. So by giving people all like an hour back, two hours back, either side of their travel time, um, we're giving people a higher level of happiness and well-being as well. So I think it's an interesting time um, to to be the persons in charge of looking at uh, the facilities of organisations, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Look, Josh, we're almost out of time. I have a question, though, for you is when people are listening to this podcast and they would like to find out more about active and thriving well-being, given that what you do is digital and so it can be delivered anywhere in the world, um, what's the best way of getting hold of you? So the best way um, to reach out, I encourage you to um, add me on LinkedIn, so Josh Marson, where I do share a lot of information around health and wellbeing. We also run um, webinars around mentally healthy workplace on a regular basis. And otherwise, just contact us on our website, so activeandthriving.com.au. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, your understanding, and a little bit about your view of what organizations need to do to have their team active and thriving and and being well, because, you know, that's going to make the difference in productivity moving forward. So thank you very much, Josh. And this is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. And a reminder, pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com. That's excellencepodcast.com. And there you can find an amazing set of free resources for you to help you on your journey to excellence. Remember that we can never be perfect. We can only be the best we can be, which is excellent. So pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com to pick up your free resources, including a 48-page ebook entitled Building Excellence.